I want to thank you for tuning in to our Wednesday evening service here at Pleasant Valley South Baptist Church. Tonight I'm going to continue a study in the book of Romans chapter 8. So I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Romans 8. We're going to be reading verse 1 and then down verses 9 through 11. So Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again to take your word. And Father, allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us through your word. We thank you, Lord, as we have seen these last few weeks that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Lord, give us a full understanding of just what that means to us as your children. And Father, to those who may not know you, some who may be tuned in tonight that's never accepted Christ and are under the full condemnation, Lord, that they will realize what a great gift salvation is through faith in Jesus. So we thank you, God. We just commit the results to you. Just pray that your name will be glorified. I pray, God, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart will be pleasing and acceptable unto you. Dear God, my strength and my redeemer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've shared with you previously, Romans 8, 1 lays the foundation for the entire 8th chapter of Romans in the proclamation that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This verse has been called by some the most hopeful verse in Scripture. And here's why. As Paul has already declared in Romans 3, 23 and in Romans 6, 23, all have sinned, and the wages or the payment of sin, condemnation, is death. That is eternal separation from God in hell. However, for those in Christ, there is no condemnation, no death. For Christ died in our place. Through his death, he took on himself the full condemnation from the Father, for all of our sin, making it possible for us to be righteous or right in God's eyes. That is something that is hard for us to comprehend, but something to celebrate, something to be so thankful for. There is no condemnation because of what Jesus did for us. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I want to ask you to turn there with me for just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 21, and there we read, for he made him 
who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. His righteousness was imputed to us. That word means it was credited to our account. It was accounted to us. The doctrine of imputation. It's been described as the greatest transaction in the history of the world. When Jesus, who knew no sin, exchanged his righteousness for our sin and taking it on himself. He received what we as sinful humanity deserved, condemnation for sin. And we received what he deserved, righteousness. However, this hope or promise is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. A passage which beautifully describes this simple yet infinitely profound phrase in Christ is Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 through 6. Well, turn there with me. Romans 6, verses 3 through 6. This do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin." In the Jeremiah study Bible, Dr. David Jeremiah elaborated on this amazing passage describing the wonder of, of what it means to be in Christ. He wrote, Christ's death was the believer's death. His burial, the believer's burial. His resurrection, the believer's resurrection. He not only died for us, he died as us. Believers are united to him in his death and burial and his resurrection. Someone else has said that being a Christian is not simply being outwardly identified with Christ, but being part of Christ. Not simply being united with him, but united in him. At the moment of conversion, one more point concerning being in Christ is that it results in a person being changed from the inside out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Look there with me if you will. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Of course, this doesn't mean that the moment that a person is saved, that they will no longer struggle with temptation and carnal thoughts and just the things of the flesh. We'll, we'll continue to struggle with those things. But with the help of the indwelling Holy Spirit who comes to live within us at the moment of our salvation, 
we will steadily progress towards Christ-likeness till the, till the Lord returns and makes us completely whole. Philippians 3.13, the apostle Paul writing about this said, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a process. Yes, we are a new creation. The, Lord, the Bible says that the moment that we're saved, we become a new creation in Christ. But we still struggle. And we still have those issues that we deal with in our life. But we are continuous. Paul said, I, I continue to move forward. I forget those things that are behind. Forget my, forget my mistakes. Forget my past failures. But keep my eyes on Jesus, the goal and Christ-likeness in this life and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus when this life is over. That now takes us to our message this evening. I've entitled the message, No Condemnation and the Indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, if Romans 8, 1, again, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If that is the foundation of the 8th chapter of Romans, then the Holy Spirit would be the subject. In the first seven chapters of Romans, the Holy Spirit is mentioned only two times. In Romans chapter 8, he is mentioned 22 times. Now just a note here. Note I did not say it is mentioned 22 times. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, it's not an it. We see, first of all, in verse 9, a testimony to the divine trinity. It says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now, this section of Romans 8, verses 9 through 11, begins with a powerful testimony to the doctrine of the trinity. First, there is the Spirit. That is God, the Holy Spirit. It says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You remember that whenever Spirit is capitalized in the Bible, it's reference to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Next, we have God the Father. Paul says, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then we have God the Son, the last part of verse 9. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He is not his. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God manifested in three persons. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines Trinity as a theological term used to define God as an undivided unity expressed in the threefold nature of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the doctrine of the Trinity is evident in, even in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible? Turn back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the second part of verse 2 says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then down in verse 26 the first part, it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
First of all, the Hebrew name for God is used here is Elohim, which is in the plural. And just in case you have an argument that the us or the our in Genesis 1:26 doesn't include Jesus, God the Son, turn over to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, this will make it very clear to us that Jesus was present at the creation. John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Just in case you're not sure that the, the Word in is Jesus in verse, look at verse 14. That clears it up for us. And it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. The clearest scriptural reference to the systematic presentation of the doctrine of the Trinity is found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 28. Turn to Matthew 28 and look at verse 19. And there we read, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know, as a, a minister, one of my greatest blessings as a minister is to be able to baptize new believers. You know, baptism for the believer is the, the first step of obedience after you've accepted Jesus Christ. You realize that you are a sinner. You, you ask Jesus to cleanse you of your sin and to, to come in and live within you. And you, be, you become born again, that new creation in Christ Jesus. And then Jesus commands us as new believers to be baptized. And so that's a great blessing for me as a pastor. And I think many pastors will agree that I've had the blessing of baptizing both of my daughters. The Lord blessed my wife and I with two beautiful daughters. And when they were uh, in their early teenage years, even before those, uh, the, their teenage years for one of our, our daughters, uh, they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I had the blessing of baptizing both of them. And now in the last few years, I've had the blessing of baptizing all four of my grandchildren, which is a great, it's just I can't tell you what a, what, how special that was to me as their grandfather. But, you know, the fact that the Trinity is, is evident in the Great Commission, you really realize it when you go to another country and baptize and and your words are translated by, by, your, by a translator. And uh, I, I've had the privilege of doing that both in Peru and in Ukraine. Back in 2018, we had the opportunity to go in Peru to a village that had been devastated by a flood. The river ran through it. I, I used this as an illustration a couple of weeks ago on one of the, the women that I had the opportunity to lead to Christ there. But uh, with some others that came to know Christ in that uh, clinic that we conducted in La Ronda, Peru, there were five that, that uh, wanted to be baptized immediately. And so they told me about 
about a, a good location on the river where we could baptize. So I went down the day before and looked it over. And of course, the place had been devastated by the flood. And you could still see the, the, uh, the evidence of the flood all around the riverbanks and all. But uh, I made my way down to the river. And it was, it was still very swift. But there were some eddies there uh, where the water swirled around the rocks. And, and so I, I picked out a spot that, that uh, looked like it, we would be able to baptize. And I had the blessing of baptizing an elderly gentleman, his uh, adult daughter, his granddaughter, and then one other member uh, of, their, uh, of their congregation there. So we went down into the river, and, and you've got to, let me see if I can paint the picture for you. Again, it's a, it's a swift flowing river. Uh, Raul, who is my uh, Peruvian ministry partner, was standing up on the bank and there were witnesses there, the families of those who were going to be baptized and, and some of the church members as well. And they were standing there, but the, the water was rushing. So it was so loud uh, of the raging water. And, and Raul had to almost, uh, he had to almost shout in order for them to hear my word. So as I was, as I was beginning, I took the first uh, woman in and was about to baptize her. And, and you know, pastors have different things that they say at baptism, different way they express that. I, I basically say in obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and upon your profession of faith in him, I baptize you, my brother or my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, as I put them down in the water, and then raised in the likeness of his resurrection when they're brought up out of the water. So Raul was positioned on the bank, and he was straining to hear what I was saying, but he was, he was interpreting. And so, you know, when, you, when someone's interpreting your words, you, you speak in fragments. And so I would say three or four words, and Raul would interpret. But the thing that struck me is when we got to the part where I said, in the name of the Father, and I paused. And Raul just, he just shouted in the name of the Father in Spanish. And it was just such a, the emphasis was on God the Father. And the, and the people there that was looking, it was just, it was just as if it just resonated in their spirit. In the name of the Father. And then I said, in the name of the Son. And Raul in Spanish said, in the name of the Son. And again, it was just like it just had a, it just had such an impact on the people. And I looked down at the woman that I was baptizing and tears were streaming down her face. And I realized how impactful it was to her. And I said, in the name of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Raul interpreted that. But to me at that time, uh, up until that time, I don't think I'd ever really realized the importance of emphasizing the triune God in the ordinance of baptism. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I've had the same privilege in Ukraine. We do mission work in Ukraine, and uh, we've gone and done medical clinics and eye clinics in remote villages, and many people have come to the Lord uh, and Usually when we return, uh, the, those that had accepted Christ in our clinics the year before are waiting to be baptized. Uh, they don't have any indoor baptismal pools as they didn't in Peru. Um, not in the smaller churches anyway. In the church where we work, they do not have a baptismal pool. So they have to wait till the summertime, till the war 
unfreezes till it thaws and warms up some. And then they just have a lot of people that are baptized. Well, some of those who had been baptized, who had been saved the year before in our clinics wanted me to baptize them. And I, of course, I talked with Pastor Vladimir, Pastor Vitaly. I said, listen, I, you know, I, you're their pastor and I, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to you know, take over your role here. And, oh, no, it would be an honor for us, to, uh, for you to baptize. So same, the same picture there. We, even though it wasn't a, a rushing river, it was a, it was a lake where they baptized. And so, but it was, it was very shallow. It, it had a, a, a very shallow uh, uh, bottom up until about 15 to 20 feet out. And so you had to go that far out in order to get in water deep enough to baptize. And so, Nadia, the pastor's wife, was going to do the interpreting, of course, from my words in English and to, uh, to the Russian language that they speak in eastern Ukraine. And the same thing happened. I, I, I said, you know, I went through the same thing in obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And upon your profession of faith in him, I, I baptize you, my brother and my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And again, Nadia was breaking it down. And when she got, when I said, in the name of the Father, she spoke it in Russian. And it just had the same effect. In the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the same thing happened. Something miraculous happened that day, this particular day that we were baptizing on that riverbank. There was a man who was, I mean, on the, at the, on the lake uh, there in Ukraine. There was a man who was down with another group, and he was probably, a, I don't know, 50 yards, maybe 75 yards down uh, the lake uh, from where we were. And as we began the baptism... I noticed some of the people in the group, the witnesses of the baptism, they were looking down that way. And this man, when we first began, they said he just, he stopped everything he was doing and just was, he was just zeroed in on what we were doing. And he began to make his way up there. And when we got to, when, when Nadia was interpreting, that man's spirit was gripped by what was going on. And it was when we came to the point of we're baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this man was, he was just overwhelmed with that. And one of our pastors got to go talk with him. And I think he was later on invited into the church. And I think he, he eventually came uh, to know Christ. But it's just the, the doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, when we baptize in that, it has such an impact. Not only on those who are being baptized, it has an impact on me as a pastor, but it has an impact on all those who are witnesses to that, realizing that we serve a mighty and an awesome God, triune God, made manifest to us in God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And one other thing about baptism, and I just realized it a few moments ago before I came in to, to record this. On this day in 2020, I had the privilege of baptizing a man that uh, was saved as a child, had never, he is, he, I think the story was that his family had been in the military and they moved around a lot. So he came to know Christ as a, as a child, uh, teenager, and because they were moving around so, not, so much, he had never uh, been able to follow up with believer's baptism. And as we were discussing 
the service and he said, you know, he told me his story and he said, I, I've, never, I've never been baptized and I want to do that and it's so special that we can do it right here. So we went down into the Jordan River, had the opportunity to baptize this man who had accepted Christ at a young age but wanted to be obedient to the Lord's command to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What a great, what a great blessing. Well, in verse 9, not only do we have a testimony to the divine trinity, we also see a principle of the Holy Spirit's presence. A principle of the Holy Spirit's presence. To fully understand verse 9, we need to go back to verse 8, where Paul emphatically states that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In the flesh describes a person who's never been saved, unredeemed. So the unredeemed cannot please God because they have failed to, by grace through faith, accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Turn with me for just a moment to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And there we read, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Notice with me now this principle of the Holy Spirit's presence. It's twofold here. First of all, if the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we will not conduct ourselves according to the desires of the flesh, but rather by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul wrote, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. On the other hand, if the Holy Spirit does not dwell on, in us, we are not a child of God. That is, we've never been saved. Paul wrote, now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You know, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God at the moment of conversion. I said that earlier. So someone who does not have the Spirit of God living within him is not a child of God. To the church at Corinth, where there were many professing Christians who showed no evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in their life, Paul admonished them in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And Paul said, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. I want to stop right there and ask you, the same question. Many of you, are you're, you're, you're looking on. It's been recorded. You're watching this recording. Some of you are, are believers. Quite possible that some of you are not. And so I want to ask the question, have you examined yourself to see if you're in the faith? You know, some evangelists, I've heard some evangelists say that it's quite possible that up to 60% of members of churches, and they were specifically talking about Baptist churches, but up to 60% of the members of Baptist churches have never been born again. Therefore, does not, they do not have the Spirit of God living within them. How does that happen? You know, 
I've had many people, as I have witnessed through the years, I've had people ask them, do you have a personal relationship with the Lord? Oh, I, I joined the church when I was nine years old. I was baptized when I was nine years old. Well, you know, what, 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 how, how, are, how are you walking with the Lord right now? Are you involved in a local? Oh, I don't, I don't go to church. I don't, you know, I, I just uh, kind of got away from that. It's just not that, not that important to me. That's the story of a lot of people. Some of my parents were Christians. They'll say, I, yeah, I was raised in a Christian home, and, and therefore I just, I just grew up as a Christian. Well, that's not, that's not biblical salvation. That's not what the Bible says it takes for us to become a child of God. And so there are many people who think they're okay. You know, I think about the critical time that we're living in now. And, you know, there's a, it's a troubling world we live in. We're in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. I looked up today before I came in. 1.95 million people worldwide have died from this pandemic. In the United States alone, 383,000. Now, when you see this particular recording, the numbers will probably be higher than that. A worldwide pandemic that has literally brought the world to a standstill. We see around us just the events, the recent events. There is, there is turmoil. There is there are riots going on. There's, there's hatred like I've never seen in my life that's being displayed on TV. There's division like we have never seen. And people say, well, preacher, what's going on? Well, I don't have all the answer, but I do know this. I believe that every moment that the clock ticks off, we're getting that much closer to the return of Christ. We know that's true. And I believe it's very close. Am I going to predict that in three weeks the Lord's coming back? No, because the Bible warns us against that. We don't know when he's coming back, but the signs are all around us, the turmoil, everything that's going on. The greatest thing that could happen in the church is there'd be a great revival. This would turn us back to Christ. A great returning of believers, but also as we return, that many would be saved, that many would come and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I think, as I think about the judgment. You know, the Bible says we're all going to stand before God in judgment. Now, at the judgment, Jesus said, there's going to be some who's going to say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do this in your name? Did I not do that in your name? Did I not do all of these great things in your name? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. To hear those words from someone who's been in church all of their life, some, and think they've done what they needed to do, but the fact is, never been born again, never been changed from the inside where they become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And you say, well, Billy, how am I supposed to know that? I think there's a couple of indicators. First of all, if you can continue on a path of sin, 
and not feel conviction in your heart. Your heart has been so hardened against it. You don't even feel any conviction. You need to evaluate whether you're in the faith. Here's something I think is very important. If you do not have a desire to be in the Word of God with everything that's going on around us today and be in God's Word and let Him through His Holy Spirit speak to you, if that's not even, if that never enters your mind, you have no desire to, to, to read God's Word and to meditate on God's Word and be in His Word and let the Holy Spirit lead us through it, you need to question, am I in the faith? Even before the pandemic came, church attendance was at an all-time low. And a lot of people just said, well, it's just not important to me anymore. Can you really be a child of God and not have a desire to be in worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, lifting up the name of Christ in worship? I don't know. I don't know your heart, but I know that God does. And I just want to I want us to pray as we close tonight and realize that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And if you've never been saved, Jesus wants you to be saved. You've got to realize that you're a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you realize that there's payment for that sin. The wages of sin is death. But the good news is the free gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ. And that God loved us so much that even while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. And then in Romans 10, 9, it said, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. There's some of you that maybe listen to this recording and say, you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever been saved. I, I don't think I've ever trusted Jesus. I've claimed to be a Christian, some of you would say, but. You know, I've gone to church some, but if you're talking about born again where I'm a new creation, no, I don't, I don't think that's ever happened. I want us to, you know, there's no magical prayer to pray to be saved. I think we acknowledge that we're a sinner and we realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead and conquered death and hell in the grave. And if we confess our sin, as the Bible says, and believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he lives today and he's coming back again, the Bible says you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the, de from the dead, you will be saved. I think there's some that need to be saved. So I want to lead us in a prayer and if you repeat this prayer in your heart and truly mean it, I know that Christ will save you. If it's a desire of your heart to come and know Christ, he'll do it. And I just want to lead us in that simple prayer. And you can pray a prayer such as this. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins. God, I confess my sin to you right now. I, I agree with you, Lord, that I have failed miserably, Lord. And my greatest need is the need of a Savior, and I know that Jesus is the Savior. Dear Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life and be the Lord and Savior of my life.
I thank you for saving me. And if you prayed that prayer and you truly meant it, I believe by the power of the word of God that you just become a child of God. If you still have questions or a lot of things going on. And you know, we here at the church, we're, we're not able to get into the hospitals like we used to. We're not able to get out and visit like we used to. We just don't have the contact with people. But we've got cell phones and we've got phones here at the church. And I just want you to call. And a minister on staff here at Pleasant Valley South will, will talk with you and explain to you what it means to be a believer in Christ Jesus. You see that number, 234-706-234-1841. You call that number, speak to someone, let them know that you want to speak to a minister, and I assure you, you will get a call back. I pray that you will make a decision today for Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to die for us, and that, Lord, you desire for all to be saved. And Lord, at this very moment, those who have heard the gospel, Lord, have been drawn by your Holy Spirit, Father. We just, uh, I pray that you will just assure them in their hearts, Father, of your love for them and your desire to save them. And God, if they prayed that prayer to be saved, I pray, I, I, I pray that they will call the church and speak to one of us and ask about the next step of as a believer, or those that have questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Lord, that they'll follow through on that. So, Lord, we just commit the results to you, and we just thank you in advance, God, for the lives that you're going to change as they turn to you. We thank you, Lord. We pray this prayer in the name of our Savior and your Son, Jesus.